Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. The Celtics are already busy at the deadline. They add Xavier Tillman, who Celtics fans probably already in love with after, if you're on social media, on Wednesday, you saw the back and forth between Tillman and Kyrie Irving. If you haven't, just go on Twitter or Instagram. You can find it. So we'll get into that in just a little bit, what Tillman means to the Celtics. Plus, the Red Sox are adding a Netflix special to this bizarre offseason, so we'll get into that. Mike Reese reported that Brian Belichick is back with the Patriots staff. Steve Belichick was, of course, the bigger name. He goes to Washington. I am slightly surprised that Brian Belichick is back, considering Steve went to... Washington, Steve was obviously the guy that was calling the defense, so this is obviously a less important role than what Steve was doing, but nonetheless, weird that Brian Belichick is back. And some unfortunate news for the Bruins, Matthew Patra, done for the season. The Bruins announced he had right shoulder surgery, recovery time is five months. You look at his season, 15 points in 33 games, and you need him for the future, of course, just 19 years old. So if this is something that was not going to get better, and clearly he was struggling with it, in terms of over the past couple of weeks here, then it makes more sense to get it done now, get the surgery done, get him better for the future, because he's a big part of what this organization is going to be going forward. 5'11", 180, you'd like him to put some weight on, because clearly he was getting fatigued and he was clearly dealing with the shoulder situation. I mean, it goes back to he originally suffered the injury against the Coyotes, missed four games, did come back, but then he missed that final game before the break, and then he missed the Flyers game, or I should say, yeah, he missed the Flyers game right before the break, and then he missed Tuesday's game. And, of course, he had the trip to the World Juniors playing for Team Canada, so a lot of work on his plate this past season for what is now over. 
And if you look at it, he played in just, what, six of the Bruins' 12 games in January after coming back from the World Juniors. If you look at it, too, 11 games since the start of December, four points, no goals. First 22 games, 11 points, five goals. So probably wore down a bit as the season went on, and it did look like he was taking a lot of punishment. And that naturally is something that's going to happen to younger players. They're going to have to deal with the physicality of the, of the NHL, especially considering the size of Patra. So it sucks that he's done for the season, but let's see. He did really show some flashes, especially early on. It felt like he did get fatigued, and as we're talking about, he was obviously injured as well. So hopefully he's ready for the start of next season. Hopefully he puts on a little bit of weight in the offseason as well, but definitely a hit to the Bruins as he was, he was really a big piece, if you talk about just from an organizational long-term standpoint that we heard about at the beginning of the season where it's like, hey, this guy's actually going to make the team. We saw why, and unfortunately, we saw why so many young guys struggle in the NHL with the physicality early on, and clearly, is dealing with the shoulder situation. So the way I look at it, if it's something that he was not going to be the same version of what we saw at the beginning of the season because of this, and we saw the ice time going down as well, then you might as well shut him down, get him ready for the long-term because... That's what it's about for him. He's part of the long-term outlook within this organization, but it does suck for right now. Okay, so I do want to get to the Celtics game as they beat the Hawks, recording right after that. No DeJounte Murray for Atlanta, so maybe by the time you hear this, DeJounte Murray will be traded because it appears he's going to be moved at the deadline. We'll see, but the Hawks didn't play him tonight. Ordinarily, when something like that happens, it means, hey, we're probably going to trade you. We don't want to play it just in case you end up with some sort of an injury, right? Okay. So first guy I want to point out in this game tonight is Kristaps Porzingis. I do wonder if Kristaps and Derek White, who Derek White was really good in this game, we'll get to him in a second. I wonder if these guys were a little irritated and they're like, hey, Trey Young's on the other side. Why don't we decide to play better than Trey Young did? Because Trey Young was put on the all-star team as an all-star reserve along with Scotty Barnes of the Raptors. We weren't, so let's outplay him tonight. And Porzingis was awesome. 31 points, 13 of 19. And you just saw it right off the bat. Rim run, gets the ball, makes it 7-3. He got a little dump off there, makes it 7-3. Pick and roll with Jalen. He gets an and one. Free throw jumper, boom, hits that. He posts Johnson in semi-transition where he's running the court really well. He looked like he was refreshed. And I would say the same thing about Al. They got this time off. He looked like he was really springy in this particular game tonight. But I love the fact that he runs the floor and he posts up the smaller player. Well, I guess technically everybody's smaller than him, but you get the point. He posts up a forward to make it 62-62. And then him and Derek White just running that pick and roll in the third quarter. It's basically unbeatable. Gets to the free throw line, hits a free throw, does miss one of them. But you look at it in terms of what he did in the first half of this game. 16 points, 6 of 7 from the field. Of course, had that 3 before half to sort of beat the buzzer, but... After that, in the third quarter, high pick and roll with Derek White, 77-72, gets the free feed from White. Gets a lob from Al, 82-76. Cut in the lane, makes it 87-83. Then he goes through a Kongwu, makes it 89-85. And what we saw at the start of the third quarter, and really for a good portion of the third quarter, they kept playing through the Porzingis, Derek White pick and roll, which we've talked about. That's the Celtics' best offense at times. And if you look at it on the season, Porzingis is now at 1.29 points per possession as the roll man. That's in the 74th percentile. And White's in the 86th percentile as the pick-and-roll ball handler, 1.04 points per possession. So just something to look out for. We talk about the late-game offense at times and some of the issues this team has had. 
they have something that they can go to. Without their two best players, Jalen and Jason Tatum, right? They're all-stars. They can press this button and it works. And the other thing I'd mention with Porzingis, and it's sort of a bigger thing with this team, the chemistry is awesome. Like we saw Derek White celebrating on the bench when Al Horford had that coast-to-coast dunk when Trey Young dribbled it off his foot. You see Derek White doing like the running in place thing. And Porzingis, after he had a three to make it 120 to 109, he's celebrating like crazy. Like you could tell he really likes being a Celtic. And we've talked about this in the past in terms of think about what he's gone through. With the Knicks, it didn't work out after starting off and he was the unicorn. He goes to Dallas. Okay, looks good at the beginning is having this great playoff run against the Clippers and then he gets hurt. Okay. And then the next playoff run, he wasn't good. Him and Luca have their issues. And Rick Carlisle doesn't want to post him up. He said the post-ups aren't efficient. So then he gets sent to the Washington Wizards, an irrelevant NBA franchise. And when he's there, yeah, he's putting up great numbers, but is anybody noticing? And finally, he gets here. So I just think it's about the excitement level with him. Remember, he opted into his, his contract so he could come here. And you can tell, like, he loves being a member of this team. And I do feel like the vibes with this team overall, they're great. Like these guys love playing together. I'll get to more on that in a second. But Derek White, I mean, 21 and seven. And Derek White has been so good in the fourth quarter. The numbers on the season are through the roof. 50% from the field, 42.2% from three in the fourth. And I told you about the pick and roll numbers with him and Porzingis. But how about the way that he starts the fourth? Wing three, 98, 93. Wing three, 101, 93. He just took over. Then he hit another three in transition to make it 109, 98. Hit another three to make it 118-104. He had four threes in the fourth quarter of this game. And Derek White is so good in these clutch situations where it's crazy to think about that in that series against the Warriors a couple of years ago, at times he was like afraid to shoot the ball. Now he has all the confidence in the world. And I think part of that, we can go back to this season. There's no Marcus Smart, right? So he knows he's going to be in the closing lineup. He knows he's going to get a lot of opportunities. He's just been an awesome player in the fourth quarter. And getting back to the whole chemistry thing, Tatum and Jalen combined for 35 points. White and Porzingis go for 52. A, it tells you how deep this team is in terms of your third and your fourth best players can be significantly better than your first and your second best players. And then also the fact that Tatum and Brown don't care. They just want to win at this particular point in time. So you love that. And then Jalen, although all 15 of of his points came in the first half, I love the way that he started the game where he's just getting downhill. Drive, finish past Johnson. Drive, short min- mid-ranger to make it 14-13. He goes through Bogdanovich to make it 20-18. to Went right by Okongwu for a layup. Drive and one through Okongwu. Then he dropped Johnson, although he stepped on Johnson's foot. It wasn't like Johnson just fell when Jalen made a move. And then drove by Okongwu, jump stop, waits for him to fly by, hits a little floater shot, if you will, really more of a push shot. But 15.7 of 10, you look at what he did too. Five of five in the restricted area and two of three in the upper paint. So in that first half, 14 of his points came at the paint, one at the free throw line. I love when Jalen is aggressive like that. And I will say this, like the unselfish play in the second half where he piled up all these assists, but also the fact that he drives, draws two in the paint, finds Pritchard for a wide open three that made it 95 to 90. So I love Jalen's game because... We've seen Jalen at times, not so much lately, but sometimes he'll try to hijack the offense when he doesn't get a ton of touches. Today, he just let, he played the right way, made all the right reads, and it was his time in the first half, and he let Derek White and Porzingis take over in the second. Tatum had 20 points, just two of 13 from deep. He did have seven assists and nine boards, though, so impacting the game in other ways. 
And the thing that stuck out to me about Tatum in terms of his scoring, his isolation game was really good in this one, where he had to turn around over Hunter. He goes through Hunter, gets to the line, hits both free throws. By the way, DeAndre Hunter was labeled as this like three and D guy coming out of the collegiate level. <laughs> I don't see much of the D when he plays the Celtics. And I get it, tough matchups, but still. Then he gets Trey on him in a mismatch, makes it 46 to 44. So again, these are all isolation situations after he gets some of these switches. Bully ball through Fernando, who's a big, to make it 107-98. And my favorite Tatum play of the game is he gets a Kongu on him. We've seen so many times with Jason Tatum throughout his career, when he gets a big guy on him, he lets that big guy off the hook. And I know he can get to a step back game, and I know a lot of times he'll hit it. But what he did in this particular situation, he just went right by you, Kongwu, and got an easy layup out of it, where it's like, okay, you're significantly more athletic and quicker than this guy. Just go by him. And that's what I love to see. And if you now look at the numbers on the season for Tatum, the isolation game, he's in the 75th percentile, 1.07 points per possession. That's really good stuff. And that's important when you get to the postseason. And then secondarily, you go to last year, his ISO numbers, just the 55th percentile, 0.93. So he's up to 1.07 from 0.93, and he's using more of his possessions in ISO, 23% this year compared to 17%. I attribute the isolation numbers going up to punishing smaller defenders, right? And the fact that he's more patient with these switches, his post game has improved. So all those different things add up to it. It's a mentality thing with Tatum where we've seen him using his physicality more this season. The one thing I did not like in this game from Tatum, end of the game, the Hawks, it's a five point game. Tatum just jacks up a wing three, did not care for that, especially when everything was working with the white Porzingis pick and roll. Nonetheless, you get away with it, you still win the game. I just, I hated that possession from Tatum, even though I told you I loved his isolation game throughout this one. Al was awesome. 14 points, he hit four threes, eight boards, eight assists, two steals, four blocks. This guy is closer to 40 than 30, right? I think he loves these little spot starts because, of course, he didn't have Drew in this game. Right away, hits a corner three. I told you about that play where Derek White was loving her, where Trey kind of <laughs> dribbles off his foot. Al goes coast to coast. Hit a couple of wing threes after that, then hit a corner three. So, and then later on in the game, in the second half, he strips Johnson when Johnson was driving. Saves the ball. So not only does he strip Johnson, he saves the ball. It leads to a Pritchard three, which makes it at that point of the game, 85-81. So just an overall great effort from Al. Al and Porzingis just looked awesome. Like, Hey, give them more days off because this is why the Celtics have sat these guys in back-to-backs. And think about what these extra days, these two days off or whatever it is, does for Al and Porzingis. They just looked that much better. And they they looked awesome in this game. Porzingis was like unreal. I mean, that pick and roll with him and Derek White, you just can't defend it. It's unstoppable because Derek White is an unbelievable decision maker. And Kristaps Porzingis is, I mean, he's seven foot three and he's rolling and if he's not rolling, he can pop and hit a three. It's just very difficult to defend him. So I love what we've seen from Allen. They've done a great job in terms of not playing him too much this season compared to what we've seen over the past couple of years. A lot of that has to do with the depth, but I give Joe credit for that as well in terms of their discipline with their approach with Al. They're not going to overtax him. That's obviously a big effort with this team. All right. A couple of other things I wanted to mention just team-wise. The Hawks in the first half or the first quarter put up a 142.3 offensive rating. And the Hawks over their last five games have been the best offense in the NBA entering this one, a 127.7 offensive rating. And the only team they lost to during that stretch was the Clippers. And they still put up like 140 points against the Clippers. 
But if you go after the first quarter of this game, the Celtics defense did get significantly better where they only gave up 80 points on 77 possessions. That's a 103.9 offensive rating. So 142.3 in the first, the next three quarters or the final three quarters, 103.9. Memphis is the worst offense in the NBA at 107.4. So they did do a much better job digging in. And to my point about Trey Young, maybe the team was pissed off that Porzingis and White were not all-stars and Trey Young was. And I'm not saying Trey Young definitely deserves to be an all-star. The guy's putting up insane numbers this year. But hey, dog days of the NBA season, you're thinking about ways to get motivated. If that helped them, great. You look at Trey Young, 15 in the first half. His first basket of the second half doesn't come until under six minutes left in the fourth quarter. He does take some really bad shots, and I thought the Celtics did a good job on him in the second half. Really after the first quarter, they dialed in on Trey Young. Another thing you look at, so that's paying attention to detail, the 33 assists for the Celtics. We mentioned all the guys putting up crazy assist numbers in this one in terms of the combination. Tatum 7, Al 8, White 7, Jalen 6. It's the sixth time this season the Celtics have had at least 33 assists in a game. If you look at the Pacers, they lead the NBA at 30.9. The Celtics are not a high assist team, just 25.9, 20th. That's because they spend a lot of time in isolation, a lot of time in post-ups where you're not going to get as many assists, but a good number for the Celtics, the ball was flying around. And another thing in terms of paying attention to the scouting report, because this is an issue the Celtics have had in the past where you go back to last year, and maybe it's not the scouting report, maybe it's just how they played. They took way too many threes against the Heat, and you know me, I'm pro threes, but against the Heat, the Heat were one of the worst two-point defensive teams in the NBA, because as great as Bam is as a player, the one thing he doesn't do well, he's not a good rim protector. He can switch on to everybody, but he's never been a good rim protector. So the Celtics didn't take enough twos. They didn't have enough drives to the basket last year in that series. And if you look at this game against the Hawks and not comparing the two teams, because obviously Miami has been much better historically. But the reason I point that out is if you look at the Hawks in the on the season, they give up 31 shots per game in the restricted area, that little circle. That's the most in the NBA. And teams shoot 67.6% in the restricted area against the Hawks. That's 23rd in the NBA. So they give up a ton of shots in the restricted area because they don't have good point of attack defense, right? The Trey Youngs of the world. I don't think those wings that they have, DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson was getting blown by multiple times. I like him as a player, but they don't have Bogdanovich. They don't have good point of attack defenders. So you can get to the restricted area and you can finish when you get in there. You look at the Celtics in the first half, 17 shots in the restricted area. Now it dialed down in the second half, but that's on pace for 34, even though they were well below that in the second half. But they hit 16 of the 17 shots, 94.1%. Jalen's 5 of 5. White is 3 of 3. Porzingis is 3 of 3. And if you look at it in terms of on the season, uh, the Celtics are one of the teams that does not get to the restricted area a lot. We talk about it all the time as it pertains to the at-rim frequency. So what this all adds up to by attacking the basket, you get a ton of points in the paint, right? So the Hawks, naturally, by those restricted numbers, They give up 56 points per game in the paint, 28th in the NBA. The Celtics are not a team that scores in the paint a lot. We've talked about this in the past, 45.9 points per game in the paint, 27. In this game tonight, they go for 58. Indiana leads the league at 57.4. So the Celtics did something they don't do often because the other team was weak in that particular area. That's morphing to the game plan. That's understanding what the assignment is in that particular game, and that's how they get to 58. If you look at it on the season... Season highs and points in the paint. 66 against Detroit on the 28th of December. Toronto, they scored 60 in the paint on the 11th of November. 
58 against San Antonio on New Year's Eve, 58 against the Lakers on Christmas, and then this game tonight against the Hawks, 58. So this is what I love to see is because this is stuff you're going to have to do in the playoffs. And I'm not saying against the Hawks, but hey, you look at your team or you look at your opponent, I should say, they do something poorly, scratch at that itch, right? Keep attacking something that your opponent is not good at. This is like what made the Patriots so good for so many years. Okay, we're playing the Colts in the 2014 AFC Championship game. Remember earlier this season, we played them and Jonas Gray ran for a million yards and a couple of weeks later, the guy would be cut because he was showing up late to meetings. Remember that? So they said, hey, um, yeah, we have the greatest quarterback of all time, but we should just run the ball down their throat. And that's what they did. Like this is morphing to what your opponent does not do well, right? And this is what they did in this game against the Hawks. So I thought it was a great effort from the Celtics. I thought the first quarter defense was not up to par, but they were able to turn this around in the last three quarters of the game, so to speak. Awesome performances all around from these guys. So I felt good about this win. Nice win. They pick up Xavier Tillman. Let's get to that next. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. All right, now I'm looking at one of the specials. So you can get Chris Jones and Nick Bosa each to record half a sack for plus 340. That's pretty good value. You're talking about arguably, or in the case of Chris Jones, he's the best defensive player in this game, I would say, and Nick Bosa is the best pass rusher for San Francisco. So for them to each record half a sack, that's not too much for plus 340. So I like that as one of the specials this weekend. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. If you're new to FanDuel, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets when you win your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com Pike to sign up. That's FanDuel.com Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. So the Celtics have made a move, as we alluded to. It is Xavier Tillman. The Celtics give up two seconds in that deal, and you had eight second rounder. So this is part of the reason we talked about this the other day with Varrier. The Celtics have so many second rounders that they could use two of these second rounders to bring in a guy like Xavier Tillman. And you also send out Lamar Stevens. So pour out a drink for Lamar Stevens. Barely played for the Celtics. So with Tillman, if you're not familiar with his work, he's somebody that you do have to be cautious with the injuries. He's been dealing with a knee issue. It's not like he's going to get major minutes for this team anyway. But Really what he is, is he's a bulk piece for this team, right? He's a depth piece for this team. And really what he is, is the fourth big for this team, where you have Porzingis, you have Al, you have Luke Cornett, right? I mean, if you're thinking about if you were going to have somebody to jump Cornett, that would be Andre Drummond. Now, there's a lot of things things I like about Tillman that I'll get into a second here, but I do feel like this is basically insurance for the big guys. And in certain key matchups, Tillman's a guy that is a good defender. So, hey, you're talking about who you have to deal with. Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's a guy that you can use on Giannis. I'm not saying he's going to be a Giannis stopper or anything along those lines, but he's big, right? He's 245. And you just think about that body type where you don't really have that other guy 
behind Al Horford to be able to take the banging that Giannis provides, right? The physicality, now that Grant Williams is not with the Celtics, of course, not having a good year in Dallas. We'll see if he gets moved. But the point being is just you need another guy that can match up physically with the Giannis's and to a lesser extent, the Embiid's. We'll see if Embiid comes back. But it's just another big body to have that you can use in certain matchups. And he was good in the postseason last year. So just the numbers, he is not a good offensive player. The shooting is down. He's 40.8% from the field. He was at 61.4% last year. So that number has dropped off significantly, but he is a good defender. Like he's not a guy that's going to block a ton of shots. He's not a rim protector, but he's versatile. He can match up with you. He's a good on ball defender. This is really who the Grizzlies used last year on Anthony Davis in the postseason. So if you look at the defense this year with Tillman on the floor in Memphis, a 111.6 defensive rating via cleaning the glass, 86 percentile. And if you look at EPM, estimated plus minus, he ranks in the 99th percentile. This is dunks and threes, 4.0 points better per 100 possessions. The only two guys in front of him, Hartenstein and Jonathan Isaac. Like, Isaac is an outstanding defender. So his defensive numbers have been really good. Now, the scary thing offensively, we gave you the field goal percentage, the two-point numbers this year, 46.9%. Last year, he's at 63.2%. The rim numbers, he's in the 12th percentile. He's just 50 of 89. This is via cleaning the glass. Can't really hit anything in the short mid-range this year. 23 of 64. It's a small number. As a roll man, hasn't been good this season. Just the fourth percentile, 14 of 40. Last year, he was 36 of 55, 65.5%. So it's not like you're going to be running anything for him if you're the Celtics when he's on the court. But it should be mentioned, like last year, he's playing with good point guards and John Morant, one of the best in the leagues. Uh, one, one of the best in the league, and Tyus Jones. So basically, he's an innings eater for you, right? And you look last year in the playoffs, 30.7 minutes per game, 8.7 points, 8 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He had 22 and 13 in the game two win for Memphis. And if you look at the defensive rating with Tillman on the floor last year in the postseason, 105.7 rating in the six games against the Lakers. When he was off the floor, 113.6. So the differential there is 7.9 points per 100. So really significantly better with them on the floor. And look, Davis had some big games in that series, but you look at game three, he's four of 11 with Tillman as the primary defender. If you look at game two, 0 for four. Now he did have some big games, but game five, five of 11, game one, four of five, game six, took just one shot against Tillman. So he has playoff experience. And I think the big thing with this team is you don't really want to rock the boat that much, right? Where it's like, This guy's going to understand his role. He's going to be, at times, maybe he's the third big in a specific matchup, but most of the time, he's going to be the third or the fourth big. And if you think about a guy like Andre Drummond, that may be a guy that we talked with Verrier about. He's going to be expecting more playing time where he's looking for a contract, right? So this does make sense where it's a move on the periphery. And if you're the Celtics, this doesn't really shake anything up, right? Like one of the things we can't underrate with this team right now is the chemistry they have. And Cornette, like, he's been pretty good for this team. So we'll see what this means long-term in terms of the postseason matchups. But I do like the idea of bringing in another big body, especially, like I said, for the playoff matchups. But also, secondarily, just the fact that down the stretch of the season, we've seen how often Porzingis is either banged up or they give him a night off. Same thing with Al. You're making sure that he can get to the finish line healthy and Cornette's been dealing with stuff throughout the season he just came back from the hamstring tightness right so it's just something where add some depth to a position where we know big guys tend to get hurt and you have one that is old in Al Horford 
And Kristaps Porzingis is a guy that tends to get injured a lot. So you have the depth and then secondarily the playoff matchup. So I like the move. I mean, it's not one of these moves who are saying, hey, this is unbelievable that the Celtics got this guy, but this is the type of move we told you about on the last pod with Verrier. It was going to be a small move to help with some depth. So I like it. Okay, the other thing I wanted to mention Celtics related is B-Rob, our guy Brian Rob from Mass Live, had that the Celts were interested in some of the guys from the Jazz. And you think about it, Fontecchio, he went to Detroit, which Detroit apparently is like trying to stay relevant. And look, Fontecchio is a restricted free agent, but it's weird like what Detroit's doing there. He's a sharpshooter. He would have been a nice fit, but I mean, that's more of a luxury item than anything else with the Celtics, right? Fontecchio, I mean, the numbers have been good with him on the floor defensively with Utah, but that's one of those things. If you look at it, it's more so like he basically, it's like bringing in another guy like Hauser where he's a sharpshooter and he's six foot eight and yeah, it'd be great to use him. It'd be great to have him, but that was more of a luxury item to me. Like it was more important from my perspective to bring in the extra big that you got with Xavier Tillman rather than Fontecchio. The other guy that's out there is Chris Dunn, and Dunn's making the league minimum in Utah, $2.6 million. So it's funny to me, you look back at that 16 draft now. Remember, the Celtics took Jalen Brown with the third overall pick. And remember, locally here, people at the time hated the pick. Fans wanted Chris Dunn, who was a 22-year-old rookie because he went to Providence. And look, People thought like the mentality would work here. And then, so Jalen, remember on draft night, he was booed. And you think about Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald was another guy that people wanted that was a 24-year-old rookie. And when they made that pick with Jalen, they drafted this kid from Cal who was raw. The shot was not good. 29% from deep, 43% from the floor when he was spending his one year at Cal. He was not really a relevant college basketball player, right? And Buddy Heald was player of the year. Everybody knew who Chris Dunn was. So that pick was really criticized. And to be clear, I didn't want Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald looking back at the draft. The guy I wanted was Jamal Murray. He ended up going seventh because he was high profile from Kentucky. But so I didn't want Jalen. I wanted Jamal Murray. But if you look at it now, Jalen's been the better regular season player than Murray. Obviously, Murray is the higher high, which is winning the NBA finals and being incredible throughout that playoff run for Denver, but Jalen has been the more durable player. Now, if you think about it now, when you look at these two guys, you got to give Danny Ainge a ton of credit now, looking back at that draft, right? Where he looked at it and he said, hey, we can develop him. He's got the size. He's got the motor. And we can work with the skill set. And imagine if they had picked Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald back in the 2016 draft. Heck, Dragon Bender went fourth in that draft. Marquise Chris went eighth in that draft. So we always talk about the Tatum pick in terms of moving back and still getting the guy you wanted at number one, where the Celtics go to three, they get Tatum, who they would have taken with the number one overall pick over Fultz and Lonzo Ball. But this pick of Jalen Brown may have been the more difficult pick for Danny Ainge because there was way more questions with Jalen compared to Tatum. Tatum, you could see, was a legit score at Duke. The critics would basically point out that Tatum was so comfortable taking bad shots, right? Like, that was the criticism. But you saw, like, okay, this is an all-star caliber player when he matures, and that's what we've seen. Jalen was, yeah, he's a big-time recruit. He's a super athlete. But there was a lot to work with when Jalen Brown was coming out of Cal. And give Jalen a ton of credit for the skill development, so to speak, because he struggled dribbling the ball. I know at times he still does. But he was really not a good shooter at all. Danny Ainge saw that vision. So definitely, like, that was a franchise-altering decision, just like the Jason Tatum pick was. So 
if you think about that, like you made the trade with to get all those picks in the Pierce Garnett trade, but you also had to nail those picks. And Danny Ainge did that to set this team up for more than a decade with that duo. So you do that redraft. It's like Ben Simmons went first, Ingram second, Jalen third. We mentioned Murray was seventh. Siakam 27th, he would go higher. DeJounte Murray was 29th, he would go higher. Simmons, you knew that there was going to be some issues with him. I mean, he just left his college team after they weren't going to make the tournament, and he didn't play any defense in college. And he was a really good defender his first couple of years in the NBA, but it's just sort of a character flaw. This guy's six foot eight or six foot ten. He's not even trying on defense, and we've seen he's had some issues in the NBA in terms of just is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Does he want to play? Does he like basketball? Like that's a question about the guy. Does he actually like basketball? Which I would be concerned about if I was taking a guy. Number one overall. But anyway, so like top three going back to that draft in some order be Murray, Jalen and Siakam. Ingram probably there too, but I don't know. Ingram has never really done it for me as a player. Like obviously super skilled, but why aren't his teams better, right? But anyway, I just, I point this out with Jalen Brown because we're talking about the possibility of Chris Dunn being on the trade block with Utah. And it's a guy that Danny Ainge could move here considering he's on the league minimum and he's on an expiring contract, right? And we're talking about Jalen Brown where his Supermax kicks in. So the reason I bring up Dunn is it's, it would be an interesting fit with the Celtics. And as I said, B-Rob had it in his article up on Wednesday that the Celtics would be interested. So Dunn is north of 40% from deep this year. And if you go to his last 102 attempts going back to last season, 44 makes out of 102, that's 43.1%. So pretty good numbers. I get it slow volume, 102 attempts, and throughout his career, he's not been a good shooter. In fact, he's been a liability at times, but that's certainly a positive sign. But what he's known for is his defense. He's a big guard at six foot four. You add him to Derek White and Drew Holiday. I mean, he's a monster on monster rather on the defensive side of the floor. He's gonna fight through every screen. And he knows where he's at in the league right now, right? Like, he's here to be a defender. He's not here to be, like, one of your top guards. If the Celtics were able to acquire him, he understands his spot, just like we talk about with Tillman. So with done on the floor of the season, the Jazz are outscoring teams by 5.9 points per 100 possessions. That's in the 81st percentile. The on-off differential, plus 12.2 via cleaning the glass. That's in the 95th percentile. Just to put that into context, Derek White is at... 7.2 in terms of the on-off differential, and Dunn is at 12.2. I'm not comparing the players. Like, Derek White plays way more minutes, and he's a way better offensive player, right? He's one of the—he's been incredible for this team this season. I'm just pointing out the fact that Jazz—the Jazz have been really good with Dunn on the floor this season, and the Jazz have no reason to keep him around because he's expiring. So this is a guy that can guard up, too. He can guard guys taller than him, and he can defend guards, as we mentioned, at an elite level. So if you're talking about having or adding another option to play over Pritchard in postseason minutes in a couple of minutes a game, that would certainly make a lot of sense. Hey, you want to throw him on Dame for a little bit and say when White's off the court and only Drew's on the court or say Drew's off the court or and only White's on the court and you say, hey, Derek White's running our offense from the point guard position. Can we have somebody else defend Dame Lillard right now or defend Donovan Mitchell right now? Like, Chris Dunn is a guy that offensive players do not want to go up against. So that would make a lot of sense to me. I mean, even if you think about Jalen Brunson in New York. So this would be a nice ad if they could find a way to add Chris Dunn. They already got Xavier Tillman. This would be a nice ad as well if they could pull this off. I mean, it's going to be difficult to be able to do it, but it would be a nice ad for the Celtics so they could add Chris Dunn and Xavier Tillman. I do like the Tillman move. We'll see what else 
the Celtics do here as the deadline approaches at 3 p.m. on Thursday. Okay, so one other Celtics note here. I'm watching the Suns-Bucks game after the Bruins-Flames game, which unfortunately the Bruins lost 4-1. to I thought they were going to win that game after the Zaka goal cut it to 2-1 to in the third. But right after that 4-4, four and four, Geeky loses a puck battle. McAvoy can't bail him out. And then you get the Flames goal. Huberto scores, makes it 3-1, to one, and they get it. And right after that, I mean, they basically get the goal right back, like less than two minutes after the Bruins score. So after that, it was really the Flames added another one, 4-1. But you felt like when they cut it to 2-1, to one, the Bruins are going to win. But unfortunately, they don't. We'll see about the big showdown with the Canucks on Thursday. They're the only two teams in the NHL with 70 points. So that should be a fun one. But I did think the Bees would come back and win that game against Calgary. Unfortunately, they did not. And Calgary, to their credit, they were the better team. That night. But anyway, so I'm watching the Suns Bucks after that, and they throw this graphic up that Phoenix is big three. So they compare it to other notable three man lineups in the NBA. So they have Beal, Booker, and Durant, 393 minutes. They're outscoring teams by 13.4 points per 100 possessions. That's their net rating, like incredible numbers. Then they put up Edwards, Gobert, and Towns, 830 minutes plus 9.3 in terms of the net rating. Then Tatum, Jalen, and Drew Holiday, 809 minutes plus 5.3. So I'm thinking to myself when they put that up, am I drunk or something? And I had not had an adult beverage or anything last night. I mean, it was a Tuesday night. But I had to rewind to make make sure I saw that graphic correctly, that they had the Tatum, Jalen, Holiday lineup up there. So I did. I'm thinking, yeah, it is Drew Holiday. So I know for sure... That's not the Celtics' best three-man unit, right? I know for sure that's the case. So I'm thinking, I'm 99.9% sure that Tatum, Jalen, and White have played more minutes together than Drew, Tatum, and Jalen. But I'm thinking, okay, maybe did White miss the same games that Jalen did or miss the same games that Tatum did or something like something crazy that they haven't played more minutes together than Drew Holiday? Because my thought was, maybe they're trying to make the point of, hey, this is the Celtics' most used three-man unit. This is the Timberwolves' most used three-man unit. And look how the difference is in terms of the fewer minutes that the Phoenix guys have played. So that was my thought. Like, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's just like, this is the graphic they're putting up during the game, right? So sure enough, Tatum, Jalen, and White, prior to the Hawks game, when the graphic was up, they had played 832 minutes together. So 23 more minutes than the Tatum, Jalen, Drew lineup. And the net rating was 10.1. So almost double the lineup with Drew Holiday. So that's a huge number. You doubled the lineup with Drew Holiday. So why would they use the numbers from the Drew lineup and not the white lineup if the white lineup with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is better and they've played more minutes together? Like, I don't understand why you'd use that comparison to make the comparison with Phoenix. They were clearly not going for the best three-man units, right? Because there's actually better three-man units on the Celtics. Like the Porzingis, Jalen, and White lineup has a 16.3 net rating, slightly under 700 minutes, but you get the point. So did they just want to make the Suns' big three look better? They did the same thing with the Wolves. Their most used three-man lineup is actually Edwards, Rudy, and Conley, and they actually have a 14.2 net rating. So they've played more minutes than the group with Towns, and they have better numbers. So it's just strange and frankly misleading. I, I don't understand why they would put the, the they don't take the most used three-man lineups for the Celtics and the Timberwolves, and they don't use the best three-man lineups from the Celtics and the Timberwolves. So I don't understand. I don't know if it's a name recognition thing that the Towns is more popular than Conley or Holiday's more popular 
than Derek White. It's just it's a misleading stat to me. Like you're not you're not putting either the best or the most used. I, I, I don't understand the point of that. And you put the three best Suns players up there. Why wouldn't you put the best three man unit of the Celtics or the Wolves? Or if you're trying to make the point that these guys have barely played together, put the lineup that has played the most minutes together. So I don't know. Sometimes TNT confuses me. I mean, we did the whole thing last year after every playoff game, how Reggie was annoying us during the Eastern Conference Finals. So maybe we just chalk it up to somebody just put these graphics up for no reason. I, I, I really I can't comprehend why that was the way they went. But anyway, it's just an interesting situation. All right, coming up next, we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome back into Off the Pike. We bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. No complaints really over here. I think that the Red Sox, maybe they're doing well too, because did you see the big announcement from the Red Sox on Wednesday? I did. Not one, but two documentaries about them. Yes, a multi-part Netflix series following the Red Sox this season. So it's going to be shown in 2025, but they're going to be following around this Red Sox team. So the crew is going to have, this is from their release, complete access to the team and its players, coaching staff, and front office. Now, apparently, the Red Sox, by the way, do not have final cut privileges. Now they can discuss certain things, as it's explained by Sean McAdam in the Mass Live article. But apparently, this has been in the works for almost three years with John Henry, Mm. Tom Full Throttle Warner. And Rob, piece of metal, Manfred. And the reason I say piece of metal is because when they had the whole Astros controversy, (laughs) somebody asked Manfred if they should take the World Series trophy away. And he said, well, it's a piece of metal. It's like, okay, dude. By the way, that's the commissioner's trophy, too, that he referred to as a piece of metal. (laughs) Yeah, its own name. So you got him and Tom Warner going at it in terms of who could come up with the worst quotes. But anyway, so maybe this is what Tom Warner meant by full throttle. Remember, he said it's in all aspects. He lives this way. He lives full throttle. He wants to push all the levers. Maybe this is what he was referring referring to, the Netflix documentary. He's a TV producer, so it makes sense. That's true. And I do think that this has to be one of those things where if this has been in the work for three years, they probably just assumed they were going to have a good team, right? Like, 
you've been working on this for a while. You have to have assumed that you were going to be good. And so if you go back three years, what, 2021, the Red Sox made it to the ALCS. I don't know exactly yeah. when they started discussing this stuff, but they probably thought they were going to be good. I guess so. But to me, Brian, it's like, OK, maybe you thought that three years ago. But when you're looking at your roster last November, whenever the season ended and you see, well, shit, we're going to finish in last place unless we do something. And then you don't do anything. I just, they keep talking about, I think they're not getting actually paid for this series, but obviously they're like, it's good for the brand. It's good PR, et cetera. But I, I don't understand how this is supposed to attract more fans. If the documentary shows another last place team that the players are checked out in August, September, like how is that going to drum up any interest in the team if they're just irrelevant? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And you start to think about it. Too. I remember like going back, I think Showtime was the series was the channel that had the series on like the Marlins back in the day when they tried to go all in and like Ozzy Guillen was the manager. I think this, I think the series just ended because they were so bad. Like, I don't, I think that's what happened. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but I remember watching it and then it wasn't available anymore. Like they stopped doing it, but yeah, it's like, and they got to figure out, they haven't decided yet who they're going to be like, who are going to be their main subjects. Right. And so this could, to your point, yeah, to your point, this could completely backfire on the Sox. Like, you have the last place team. Like, it could look really bad, like in the clubhouse, right? Where, like, guys are not happy. Right. Maybe the manager's unhappy, right, with the team playing so poorly and the roster issues. So it could f- be a situation where it's like, okay, yeah, you want to show a team and follow a team around Major League Baseball. This team may not be happy. This team may be miserable, especially as you get closer to the trading deadline if they're out of it. And they're selling off pieces like this could look really bad for the Red Sox. Now, in terms of the guys that I think will be centered in this documentary, Costas has got to be number one because like he's a legit character. He's an up and coming star. Remember, he was sunbathing last year on the field. Two years ago on the (laughs) field, guys are mad about it. He I mean, two years ago, he was sleeping in the middle of the clubhouse. And guys (laughs) like, hey, man, you can't be sleeping there anymore. But big dude, he's got the nail polish, right? Like he's an eccentric character. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. he'll be in it. I. The probably the second most interesting guy is the manager, Alex Cora, because it's like you start to think about other teams, right? Like the Astros, it would be easy. It would be El Tuve and Verlander. And obviously the Astros would not want to do it based on what transpired for them in 2017. But you think about it like the Phillies. Okay, Bryce Harper. Dodgers, you got a million guys you could pick yeah. when you're talking about Mookie or Freddie Friedman. Now with Devers, he's not like the Yankees, right? Aaron Judge. I mean, you think about it like Devers is, I mean on resume the best player on the team but there is still language barrier with Rafi like he doesn't do interviews really in English he'll do them once in a while like he's done them with my buddy Will Fleming from the Red Sox broadcast where he'll do it in English and Spanish but for the most part Rafi doesn't do interviews without a translator so it'd be tough to have him as one of the main subjects so I would expect it to be Cora and Casas and they'll sort of play it by ear to see who the next guy that emerges is. Now, Pavet is the guy that basically yeah. negotiated this on behalf of MLBPA. Yeah, right. So maybe he's one of the guys that does it. But yeah, there's not a lot of super intriguing guys on the team that right. you would say, hey, this guy would be good for a Netflix doc. Now, if they have like a call up, like if one of these prospects gets called up, maybe that is something that could be interesting. If Kenley Jansen's still here, like if he doesn't get traded, that would be interesting as a guy that spent a ton of years in Major League Baseball and has been and won a World Series. So I don't know. Like, I just I feel like this they could easily embarrass themselves. And I think they're going to be struggling in terms of the characters they try to find. Not to say they don't have interesting guys, but 
you also have to be like good. Like you got to have like interesting totally. guys that are good. Like Hard Knocks is only four episodes, and it's like you can't focus on guys that don't aren't that good for an entire season, right? Like Hard Knocks likes to sort of they focus on the stars, but they also have the guys that are like the fringy guys. Like, are they going right. to make the team? You can't. I mean, in spring training, you can try to find guys, but if they're not going to play, it's not really worth it. I mean, tr- trying to think like who else would be interesting on this team, but there's there's not a lot of guys. I don't know. Maybe maybe like Vaughn Grissom, just being the new guy who might is up and coming. We'll see. Yeah, Trevor Story would probably be a good yeah, one Story. too, just because he's like, okay, he's had all these injuries, signed the big contract, now he's a leader. Could he actually bounce back? Like maybe that's somebody they go with. But yeah, yeah or I, maybe. I thought it was, Maybe Brian Bayo. I don't know what his English is like either, but, you know, another up-and-coming player. He's exciting to watch, at least. What about Giolito? You want to get some Giolito in your life? <laughs> you know, both his parents, I think, were Hollywood actors, so maybe he'll be good in front of the camera. Really? I did not know that. They were yeah, both, he, oh, he is from, I, now that you mention it, I think about it, he is from L.A. I remember I when he got drafted. I uh, think his grandfather as well. He comes from Hollywood royalty, so <laughs> we'll see. Maybe he's good. Wow. Interesting. Winkowski's kind of a character. Maybe yeah. Winkowski, like depending on what his role is at the team, he's kind of a character. Remember, he's he's the one that said that Wrigley was stock standard. That's what he called <laughs> yeah, Wrigley. that's an interesting quote for and Wrigley Stadium of all stadiums. He called, I forget what lineup it was. I think it might have been the Yankees. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he called like one. Uh, he called the lineup mediocre. That was like two years ago. I will say though, Brian, I I hear a lot about you know just the bullpen weird dynamic. I, I I would be happy to go check out the bullpen guys and just see what they're doing all game long. You know they have all these weird rituals, a lot of time to kill. So I think that's a good bet if you're looking for some interesting characters. Just get out there and see what they're doing in the bullpen. That, yeah, that's a good call, especially if, like Hoax out there, Whitlock's out there, those type of guys. Oh yeah, they're buddies. They got good chemistry. Whitlock's super serious, but they got good chemistry. I do like that is a good point though because. That would be interesting, like for an episode. Hey, what do these guys do in the bullpen for six innings? For some of them, nine innings. For some right, of them, they right. don't even pitch. Some of them, yeah. some of them are down that day, right? Like they're not. Pitch- that could be interesting. Like, what do they talk about? What type of games do they play? How did they come up with like the home run celebration? So yeah, that's a good call. I like that. They would do that at least a couple of times. They'll probably do something random too. Like, here's the bullpen catcher, and here's what he does on a daily yeah, basis. I'd be interested in that. One thing I will say, Brian, though, you mentioned Hard Knocks. I wish it was coming out more like uh, contemporaneously with the season. You know, it's like they seem they do this with Netflix where they they film an entire season and then come out the next year. Like they do it with their their golf documentary and they did it with their tennis documentary. And it's kind of more for like casual fans. Like for me and you, it's like I, I know who won the majors in uh, last year's Grand Slams. It's like I know how the MLB season went. So again, I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity not doing episodically throughout the season versus all at the end. That's a good point because the Tatum one's going on right now, right? Oh, like yeah. Tatum's one of the guys in the NBA mm-hmm. that's doing it for. I believe it's Netflix too. Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. No, it I is. think it's like isn't LeBron part of that as well? I don't know. I, I remember hearing like- the Tatum part. Yeah, so I'm with you on that. Like, so I'm gonna watch this in 2025. If the Red Sox stink, if they suck, why would I want to watch a documentary (laughs) in the 2025 spring training? Like during the spring training in 2025. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. That it's not coming out until spring training in 2025. Yeah, I want like the Marlins thing was during the season. I do remember that it was during the season they were falling. I I think the show was called like the show, like literally like the show. So I don't know. We'll see how it works out, but. We'll see if this works out for the Red Sox. But anyway, one or two other notes I wanted to run by you. So 
First of all, Ian Rapoport reported that it appears Elliot Wolf will be in charge of the personnel department. Callahan tweeted that sources confirm Elliot Wolf has personnel control. This mm-hmm. is what we've been saying for weeks now. After the Van Pelt hiring, after the McAdoo hiring, he's just getting all his friends together. So that shouldn't be surprising. We'll see how it goes in the draft for Elliot Wolf, but it's kind of what we expected. They weren't going to hire somebody outside of the tree in terms of that's been outside the organization. Now, maybe they'll bring somebody in to help out, but it's kind of been the whole time we kind of felt like it was going to be Elliot Wolf, especially when he's in all the meetings with Gerard Mayo interviewing right. all the possible coaches. We kind of knew this is going to be Elliot Wolf. The one thing I like over Elliot Wolf over Matt Groh, I mean, there's a lot. Matt Groh, we've talked about it multiple times, the worst press conference of all time. Maybe not the worst, <laughs> but pretty bad one. You want fast guys? Draft Taekwondo. Oh. But anyway, I, I've, I've made fun of him enough. But Elliot Wolf spent so much time away from the Patriots organization. So it's like, not all his knowledge yeah. comes from Bill. Like, Matt Groh has been in this organization the whole time, so I do like that part of it. Now, that's just me hoping something happens, but I I still think it's strange that the Patriots, even though this was predictable, I still think it's strange that, hey, Bill's out of the building. We're all good personnel-wise. <laughs> it was all Bill. He fucked it all up. We don't need anything else. It's going to be good here. It's just, to me, it's like, okay, trying to convince us that, Bill is the reason that all the drafts are bad. I mean, I guess the crafts would want us to think that, but look, I'm willing to give Elliot Wolf a chance. Mm-hmm. They had a good draft last year, but we shall see. I was thinking about this, and you know, he's bringing in all these guys, mostly from the Packers, a little from the Browns, mostly the Packers organization. And I think a lot gets made about these kind of the new, uh, sexy offenses in the NFL with like McVay and Shanahan and stuff like that. And that's all fair. Those are really successful organizations, but I think the Packers have just like a very kind of like old school, traditional way of running things. But they're like the best team every year. You know, they look they looked great this year. They're set up for a long-term success. They had, you know, they've had like 30, 40 years of stability. So I just think they get lost in the shuffle as being one of the premier teams and how they're run because they do things an old school way, which, again, I think the results speak to themselves. So I think if you're going to pull from another organization, I think the Packers are as good as anyone else. Yeah, it's a good call. The only thing that I would say is when you look at Elliot Wolf. Yeah. And the Packers point is a good one because they've been they've been really good. Is okay, well, how come he wasn't the guy that got the job? Like how come he didn't yeah. how come he doesn't have the job that Brian Kutengoose has? Or I don't even know how to say that name. Gutenkunst, I think is how you say it, but their current guy that runs their organization. He, he interviewed, I saw, for the GM job. I think it came up right. three years ago. And yeah, you're right. He didn't get it. So it's a fair point. But to your point, like the Packers for years yeah. have drafted well. I mean, this isn't just like they, I, they've been a well-run organization basically forever. And he was part forever. of it for a long time. So we'll see. Hopefully, I mean, it's good. Like if you're going to choose a guy internally, I would much rather it be him than Mac yeah. Gross. So we'll see where the Patriots Agreed. go from here. But Worth mentioning that because it is news that he's going to be in control of the personnel department. Okay, one other thing is, how about Jalen Brown circling back to the Celtics? He is in the dunk contest. Here are the other guys. Tommy Haikas, which, okay, he's a rookie. We'll see how he is in the dunk contest. But he's like a high-profile rookie. He's probably going to finish either third or fourth. Well, probably fourth now because Brandon Miller is just going nuts lately. So I'll probably finish fourth in the rookie of the year voting. The other two guys, Mac McClung, who won it last year, the G Leaguer, and Jacob Toppin, who's played in three NBA games. And I, look, McClung was awesome last year. Yeah. At least, like, I give Jalen credit because, like, Definitely. a lot of stars don't do this, and he's really the only star power. The only thing is, he better, <laughs> I hope he's good because he will be. 
Yeah, he he's an electric dunker. Yeah. He is an electric dunker. So I'm sure he's got some stuff planned for this. I give him I give him a ton of props. I think it's I've been yelling this for years. You look back in the '90s and stuff. You had all these stars doing, obviously like MJ and stuff like that. So I'm really glad he's doing it. I think it's good for the league. Obviously, we don't have freaking G leaguers doing it. So yeah, I'm glad he's doing it. And I read this, Brian. He's the first All Star in seven years to be in the dunk contest. Seven years. Can you name the last All Star to participate? Well, I'm guessing Zach Levine was not an All Star. No. When he won it. Giannis? Well, Giannis did it, but he wasn't he sh- an all-star yet. He did it. He just wasn't an all-star yet. It was Oladipo? A, it was a, a big man. Oladipo wasn't the all-star, but I don't, he was not an all-star. He wasn't the dunk contest. He won it, though, that, that one year. Okay. It was a big man. Blake Griffin? No, that's, but same team. DeAndre Jordan? DeAndre Jordan. Well done, Wow. Man. He was soaking it up. I, I wouldn't have got that because I forgot that he was, ever made an all-star team. I don't even remember it. <laughs> I think what, he made what year one. was this? I think he what was, year 20, was 2017. Okay. I think, All I think right. his so first made... and only all-star appearance. But uh, And I think he, he lost in the first round of the dunk contest, but he was Interesting. There. You bring up a good point, though, because if you think about it, Dominique did it, MJ did it, they yeah. had their duels. And then you go to, as you mentioned, Kobe. It was early in his career. Vince, Car- Vince Carter, early in his career, was... Dwight Howard. Yeah, Dwight Howard. Um, Grant Hill, I believe Grant yeah. Hill was in the dunk contest. I believe that to be the case. I may be wrong on that one, but T Mac, trying mm-hmm. to think of some other guys. But basically, early on, like or not early on, but we used to have all the stars do it. I blame LeBron. I think yeah. LeBron fucked the whole thing up because <laughs> LeBron never did it early on in his career. And then his final year in Cleveland, he was getting interviewed. I believe it was by Cheryl Miller, and he said, "I'm putting my name in the dunk contest for next year." He goes to Miami, and I don't know if part of it is because like he becomes the villain. Like, remember, everybody hated LeBron at that point. When yeah. this is after the decision, For which, sure. by the way, I just I still can't believe that was a thing. This the TV special, the decision. <laughs> I do remember. I forget what movie was coming out, but Steve Carell and Paul Rudd did like a spinoff of it. Steve Carell is playing LeBron, and Paul Rudd's playing Jim Gray, which is not with Tom Brady's buddy Jim Gray, Sparky. Oh, yeah. But he's he Scratchy. says like. Yeah, Scratchy. What I say, Sparky? <laughs> Sparky. <laughs> yeah, You're on the Scratchy. Right track. Yeah. So he says, uh, Steve Carell says, uh, Paul Rudd's like, how many people have you told? He says, I've told everyone but you. He's talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> One like, of my I'll biggest qualms, though, with uh, LeBron's game is I think he's like the lamest dunker of all time. All he does is just like smash it as hard as he can. He never had any finesse or style points with his dunks. Yeah, he's a power dunker. He was yeah. a power dunker, but yeah, he also says the thing about, um, what did he say? Uh, Steve Carell said in that, he's like, he's like, how tough was the decision? And he says, in a lot of ways, it was very tough. In other ways, it's the easiest decision I've ever made. <laughs> I forget thoughtful. what movie it was. It might have been, uh, what was that, Dinner with the Schmucks? Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I, that, yeah, I remember I remember uh, Steve Carell's haircut in that movie. It's <laughs> this ridiculous that, haircut. Def- yeah. yeah, that's definitely what it was. That's yeah. definitely the movie it was. But yeah, that, that was that was funny when they did the, the spinoff <laughs> of that. But yeah, so I mean, we'll see how Jalen is. I'm wondering about who is, like, because usually you involve a team. I don't know if it's a requirement, but usually you're, use a teammate in there. So I'm wondering if Tatum's going to throw him like an alley-oop or something. Because like, uh, I would think, I think it'd be Porzingis, but he's not going to be there because right. they didn't add Porzingis to the All-Star game. They added well, Trey Young and Scotty Barnes. I, you got to use Tatum if you're there. You gotta, the only other thing I could, I could see him like, you know who his buddy is? Anthony Edwards is like one of his, mm. one of his good friends because they're both from, 
Georgia, so they work out together and stuff. So maybe it'll be Anthony Edwards. I'll actually be pissed if it's Anthony Edwards. I want it to be Tatum. It'll be Tatum. I, that's a good call. By the way, how about Doc Rivers? He's going to be the all-star coach, and his team is one and four. Very bizarre. <laughs> that's a tough, tough record. You made, you made so a good weird. point last episode. Like, why, why is there a rule that you can't let coach two years in a row? It's like, why? Who cares? I don't know. That, that, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, why no. wasn't Phil Jackson the coach of the All-Star game every year the Bulls made it? Or Steve Good Kerr point. with the Warriors? Or Popovich? Yeah. Popovich probably fucking hates it anyway, but <laughs> you get the point. It's just weird. Yeah. But All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.